Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be speaking to product managers, product marketers, product designers, founders, and thought leaders. If that sounds like your type of party, why not head over to onenightinproduct.com, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favorite podcast app and make sure you never miss another episode again. On tonight's episode, we follow a software developer who got so frustrated at the usability of the software he was building that he immediately taught himself to be a designer. We follow his long journey from Costa Rica to the People's Republic of China, find out how that's going, and how their startup culture is very, very different to what you'd find in the West. We also talk 3D printing and try to work out if it's really possible to cure all your ills with the magic of light therapy. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Carlos Lestrez. Carlos is a TEDx speaker, product manager, and designer who's so committed to design thinking he's covered his body with tattoos, which I'm hoping he designed himself. <laughs> Carlos grew up in Costa Rica before heading east to China, where he's thrown himself into product management, UX, and more, and now looking to make everyone healthier by integrating technology and traditional Chinese medicine. I'm hoping he won't have to take anything to cure a burning sense of disappointment during this interview tonight. Hi, Carlos. How are you tonight? Everything good, Jason. Great introduction, by the way. <laughs> it's always important to make people feel excited and wanted on the way in. That's right. That's right. So first things first, you're the creative and marketing director for Kayan Medical out in Shenzhen, China. So what problem does Kayan Medical solve for me? So many years ago, the founder had the first interaction with light therapy. We do light therapy products. So our stories are similar. We, for the first time, see what is light therapy. We tried. We, at the beginning, we were a little bit skeptical, like, is this really working? And then after a couple of minutes, we were like, wow, it is working. So what we do is we try to heal people without using pills, chemicals, or any invasive way, just shining light directly to the area with pain or the area that doesn't feel comfortable. But that's something that some people are going to be very skeptical about, like hearing that and thinking, well, what do you mean you can just shine light on things and make it feel better? So is that something that you've got lots of studies that you've done that have shown the effectiveness or is that something that's like an ongoing process? Yeah, so I I get the idea, but I can say to everybody, what was the last time you went outside and you stay under the sun for a while, right? Nowadays, first, we are always indoors especially with the COVID, uh, we're in our office, home, etc. And we avoid the sun, right? We use our umbrellas or shadow and so on. Our body evolved to be under the sun and evolved to be in the wilderness. So the first thing is we, we remove big part of, of having the sun in our body. So yeah, a lot of clinical studies, FDA products and so on has been involved in why light therapy is good. The idea is that what we do is we take the, the bad parts that the sun gives in the light, like the UV and so on, and we give you what you need. Most of the times it's red light and infrared that activates the ATP in our cells. So, yeah, clinical studies, thousands of them uh, for different reasons, things from Alzheimer to pain relief to wrinkles and then other skin conditions. It, it it's amazing. I mean, I'm I'm a software engineer with a design background and marketing MBA, 
but I'm working with light therapy because it worked. It it was it was <laughs> insane. I was like, what is this? I need I need to teach the people. So was it like that then? Was it like you saw this working when you were working somewhere else? You kind of got passionate about the opportunities that there were ahead of you and decided to move into this role? I mean, I guess this was, it doesn't sound like this was something that you were seeking out. Yeah, no, I I was called to make a training in design for the company. So I met the CEO and I was like, dude, but, but that's exactly what you guys do. And then he gave me one of the devices. I was just playing around and I put it on my neck because I had like an injury many years ago playing American football. Oh, wow. And then we were keep, we, we kept talking about life and stuff. And then suddenly I feel good. I was like, hold on, what's going on? I have tried everything, everything, like 10 years, like holding that pain. And I was like, hold on, what what is going on? And then I, I start to get obsessed. I was like, okay, I need, I need to study more. Why I feel good. This, this cannot be like something magic. And then, yeah, I start to learn how the, the red light penetrates your body, the infrared goes even deeper and then reach your bone and muscle, and then just make your body aware that there is a problem. I just try over the years to numb that pain, cover it with painkillers and treatments. But I never, I never actually try to find the reason or try to go to the source. Like therapy is more like, okay, let's go and find what happened. Let's make the body aware of it and let's heal it. Rather, they just put some cover on it. <laughs> yeah. Put a plaster on a broken arm. Exactly. But your role there is creative and marketing director. So a little bit outside of what I'd expect from someone with a kind of product management, product design background. So what does your role encompass there? I mean, obviously a bit of marketing, I assume, but like with regards to the creative stuff, is that very much along the kind of marketing design or is that still very heavily focused on product design and supporting the product management and the product development? Yeah, so after after I used the device, I was like, okay, I believe in this. I want to do it. <laughs> and then the CEO, Alain, told me, okay, let's let's work together. And then I, I take the whole process. That we start with the creative part of gathering, gathering the needs of the user or the client. Let's say they say, okay, I want to treat the pain relief for lower back. Then I come up with ideas and get the user experience of how people interact when they have lower back pain, what they usually do, how they stretch, or in which situations they have it. Then I come up with, okay, we should use a flexible device, should have these materials, this kind of shape, and so on. Then the R&D team produces a prototype. I check the quality, design, lights, and finally I make sure to create a marketing campaign. If it is going to be through Facebook, we're going to launch it like with the special PR and then follow up and so on. So I, I take the whole concept and the whole device from beginning to end, which makes it very nice because you can see that the flow is going and the people get the idea. And when they ask me anything about the device, I'm totally in love with it and I believe in it and I'm using it. So they're like, okay, if this guy is using it and he's so excited, then we can trust him. But building or building and designing actual physical devices itself seems like it's adding a few additional challenges to what you might consider traditional product management or certainly traditional digital product management. So if I'm a digital product manager, I can release whenever I want. If it's broken, <laughs> yeah. I can patch it. It's just lines of code. And obviously there's work to do and a lot of work to do, but the barrier to getting that out into people's hands and to update it and, and keep it current is much lower. 
But with physical stuff, you're distributing around, obviously, a big country like China as well. <laughs> Doesn't that make everything just a little bit more complicated? <laughs> At the beginning, it was complicated. But, I mean, mo most of my background is digital web app and or systems. But at the end, it's similar. You start with the user experience. You start with doing user journeys and so on. Instead of taking it as a digital product, you take it as, a, as something they use. They're still using it. And they are going to click it. And they are going to put it around in different situations. After that, they use the same. In a software, you will make a prototype that basically works with a couple of things that you can make some assumptions and then you can try. And you create a prototype that, okay, only will start a red light when you click. Okay, if it is comfortable to use, does it feel nice in my hands? Is the material okay? No, okay, wait, we still can change it. In the same, we go step by step, iteration by iteration, until we have like a normal prototype that looks decent. And then we try with somebody completely new that never has seen it. And we said, okay, what do you feel when you use this? How will you use it? If you read the manual, what do you understand? So the thing is, even though I do this because I'm, I have my design background and so on. The FDA is required you to do this. You got to put, you got to make studies where you put people that haven't seen the device that has nothing to do with you. And they got to check the manual, the box, and they need to answer questions like, okay, do you get the restrictions or the cautions of the product and so on? So it's really similar. It's really similar to making it in a digital way. Because you still always can, can redo it or you can add and remove things and you, you got to try. I believe I have become a better web and app designer by making products. It gives me overview of a lot of things I wasn't considering before. A lot of tests that I wasn't not even thinking before. But is this something that, for example, 3D printing has really helped with because you can start to push out really quick prototypes i mean and i guess the question would be whether those would be useful because of course you're saying about kind of the feeling in your hands and the, i guess the weight and like how you'd interact with it and stuff like is 3d printing helpful for that or is it not quite good enough to help you actually make meaningful progress with prototypes that you actually have to show to real people it is useful yeah as you said to measure how it feels just general feeling it will be useful for the engineers to have an idea of what you want to do Because we have the same issue for a designer, a developer, and designer, an engineer. Okay, in my mind, I see a device, I know how it works, but then I need to explain to engineers, this is what I want. I want that when I touch here, I get the light, and the light should be in this angle. The same when a designer is like, okay, I visualize the website like this, but you got to code it in that way. So the 3D is like, it's, let's say the digital prototype the digital prototype Figma file, let's say, that, that you can give to the engineers and the people and say, okay, look, it should look like this. And I made it this size because you can see it fits my hand or I'm, or I'm planning to put it on my back so it should be flexible in this way and so on. So yeah, 3D printing is amazing for that. Recommend it. But you started out, you got a bachelor's in computer science before you moved into product management and user experience product design. So... You've obviously got a very technical background, yep. and it's not an unknown path for people to go from computer science into product, for example. But what was it that specifically got you into product management, design, and so forth in the first place? Like, What gave you that bug? Have you always been a very design-focused person, or did that come to you in your career? So I can say I have been a very creative person since, since early teenage years. And the thing is, I started, yeah, developing software very young for big companies 
And then I was like, okay, why everything looks so ugly? Why everything is so hard to use? <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I remember always saying, okay, every time I see a new software, I need somebody to explain it because they haven't used it for years and they know everything. But every single time there's somebody new, they need to find out everything again. So I tried to make things prettier. I tried to make things useful and clients were happy. Companies were happy. Suddenly all this UX thing came up and I was like, okay, it has a name. What I have been doing has a name and people just recognize it. <laughs> that's, that's nice. So I start to move more towards that rather than development because I, I, feel, I feel related. And I feel like more people were doing it and, and things were changing. So I was like, okay. I don't have time to go full-time development and full-time design. I feel more passion in these user experience things and user interface, so I'll just, just move forward. But the fact that, that I have the technical background it gives me a lot of advantage because I can understand the language of the designer and the language of the coder, programmer, or developer. And that makes the teams happy. Usually there is always like a, like a gap between what the design wants and the, what the developer can do. When I'm designing or, or reviewing the, the, the design of somebody, I'm all already thinking, okay, can we do this in the technology? If not, okay, what is the best way to give the feedback to both sides? So I, I say it's pretty useful that I did it that way. Yeah, that's interesting, but not all developers are going to have that much of a design eye. And obviously you've said that you kind of saw these things and you wanted to improve them, but it's not necessarily the case that you're going to be able to do that Yeah, because you might not have design skills, for example. So was that something that you... And it just picked up as you went along, or did you have to really train it? So I, I kind of understood some part of the designs and why just just by making software. After that, a couple of simple courses in, in user interface, and the rest was just by doing and trying. I I making different UIs, and I see, okay, people start to like this, people don't like this too much, or there are trends using this. Again, okay, I should place the buttons in this way. And, and then I remember the UX laws appear and I was like, okay, yeah, this is just <laughs> the worst of what I was doing. Things like don't give too much options to the user or similar things should be grouped in very close to each other. So it was more like try and error, which is amazing. I always tell the people you need to learn how to study and make things by yourself. I'm, I'm not saying education is wrong. It's just that. Uh, you can get frame in what the teacher thinks or, or what they like. But when you learn by yourself, you just need to discover. And when you discover these things, you do it in the right way. So it's good to have the proper education, plus just research, going into the wilderness and see, okay, let me try these things. Because then you go open with an open mind and you try things that probably they won't tell you to try. Yeah, I think that school of hard knocks type approach is yeah. definitely something that resonates with me it's definitely the way that i've come up into product management for example uh, for my own development career so it's really interesting and i think i agree with you as well that the idea that education in itself is a very valuable thing but yeah just making sure that you're making sure that you're not just relying on that but that you yeah. get a lot of practical experience as well but you're from costa rica originally and then you moved over to China back in, I think, around about 2016. So that's a big move. What was it that led you to China in the first place? I mean, I have been a bit crazy all over my life, trying, <laughs> trying new things. So yeah, many years ago, I decided to... I have been in love with the Asian culture since I'm a kid. So I was like, okay, we should, we should try it. <laughs> Why not? 
Oh, it's a it's a big bold move. So let's try it. So I I came here just to as a tourist take a look around and get to know more about the culture. And then I received a job offer in China, and I was like, okay, why not? The team looks nice. Uh, was an app for traveling, and and I was like, hey, let's give it a try. And then when I came to China, I I just fell in love with, with the whole country. I was in Hanju at that time. And I fell in love with the city, the people and everything. And since then, I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to make China my new home. And every single day, I love it. I love it for two reasons. One, because always takes me away from that comfort zone. Every day, I'm going to face a challenge. I need to learn a new language, new culture, new people, new food, everything. So. I believe makes me a better professional by by being out out of the comfort zone every single day. And second, uh, it's outstanding. I mean, it's an astounding country full of technology opportunities and a mindset that I love. A mindset of always keep moving forward. But China has a whole bunch of censorship and internet restrictions going on. And obviously, we're not going to go into the rights and wrongs in that because we don't want to get you into trouble. (laughs) But Obviously, one that really hit us over the head when we first connected was, say, for example, Google. You know, you can't use Google in China. We tried to use Google Meet, didn't work very well. Mm-hmm. But you're a designer, and there's lots of design tools these days that are all online, you know, SaaS tools themselves, right? So do you or did you find that when you got there and when you've started to work in China or as you've progressed in your career over there, that any of those tools haven't really worked out for you and you've had to find local alternatives or have you been pretty free to use whatever it is that you wanted? So most of the time I'm free to use the tools I like or that I'm used to it. Yeah, I wish somebody told me it was a restriction when I came here. I really didn't know and nobody <laughs> warned me. But the good thing is uh, they do it because they want to promote the local market and yeah, there's a similar tool or similar platform for every Western platform and actually they're amazing. They, they're amazing. After some time, you get used to it, and then you liked it. And if I go back to my country where I travel, I miss them. Because even even the way that we pay, we pay online. And I don't even remember last time I had my wallet. <laughs> and it's just comfortable. Yeah, and messages and so on. So you're always going to find an alternative that works nice, that works here and overseas. And yeah, at least in design, most of the tools work too. Not, not too many restrictions. Also for code and management, it's, it's all good. It's, it's most about like maybe social media and a couple of like Google. So it's okay. It's actually very fine. And I've spoken to a number of people on this podcast already talking about some of the, let's call it idiosyncrasies of product management in their market and how much it differs from Silicon Valley, for example, and some of the stuff that we read in the books. Mm-hmm. And obviously, before this call, we were talking about how in China, there's a very distinct product or startup working culture that's probably even more different to what's in those books compared to maybe what some of those other people were talking about in other Western countries. So what are some of the hallmarks that you would call out or differences that you would see in the way that, for example, a Chinese startup would build a product versus, say, a Western startup? Yeah, excellent question. And so, okay, so let's say I'm, I'm working for a startup, a Western startup, and we will come up with the timelines, maybe a Gantt chart, <laughs> and set up, okay, how the MVP is going to be, how many functions we need to add. After that, we're going to put in a test site, 
and invite some people, but for sure we need to have this and that and so on. And then let's say we have three months to do it. We probably ended up in four or five months. So you always get delay. And by that six month, you have a product. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to China, they just put a team and they say, okay, you have two weeks to do something. And, and we need to present something in two weeks. Even if it is only one function and it's just fill up your name and receive an email, that's it. But we need to do it in two weeks. And then when I remember when I, when I came here and I was working, I was like, wow, but in two weeks we cannot do too much. And I said, hey, wait, we don't care, but we need, to, we need to release something. So after some time, I, I totally get it. Let's say for the Western, the Western example, maybe we plan 10 functions or 10 features and the user always ended up using two or three. By making and releasing a version every two weeks, you can already cut which are the features that you're not going to use and which ones are working. So if you can find out those three or four functions that everybody's going to use at the beginning, you won't even bother and continue doing it. This is already doing what you need. And then you can polish those ones and get more users. So I remember we release it every two weeks. We test a lot. We see, okay, people not using it. Don't even think about it. Just remove it. And it was pretty, pretty cold like that. And it's like, no, but it's, it's a nice function. No, no, remove it. They're not going to use it. <laughs> so that's why they develop so fast because it's like okay for example payment methods they like to pay with this okay just put another button okay they don't scan okay they just put this and so on so development is fast no assumptions no 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 pretty things they go like pretty raw Let, let's throw things and test it and that's why they produce so many things because I, I nowadays I try to combine both, maybe not two weeks, maybe one month to to release something. But for sure you gotta test. You gotta test and you in you just gotta see what's going on and how people receive it. Because that helps you a lot as a product manager and also helps a lot the the product. We do we also do it with the devices. When we make a light therapy device, I said simple prototype, okay, throw it. Do they feel comfortable? Do they feel too heavy? Can they can get the lights? Do they feel wrong? So we can change it on time. I would recommend the Western Western startups try to release faster. That really useful. <laughs> well, it's interesting though because actually, what you've just described could be considered like a really extreme version of the lean startup, right? Yeah. Like the whole idea behind the lean startup is to do the minimum amount of work possible to try and get some kind of validation of your idea, and you know, work out what next and to build iteratively and and so forth. But it seems like what you're describing is even more carnage than that could be because ultimately the lean startup would probably be fine with a two-week mvp for example if you could actually get something that was viable but yeah the approach that you've described sounds like from time to time you might come up with something that's not particularly viable because of time constraints or whatever else has that been an issue like when you've had to do this and maybe the thing that you put out is just not enough to know anything it, it becomes an issue but i will say there's a personal issue you don't want to release things that are not completed. I mean, you as a product manager, you feel like, all right, uh, I don't, I don't feel comfortable throwing this because I know it's going to fail. I know it's going to get broken if somebody clicks here. But again, it just works. It's just like a shortcut, and you sacrifice a couple of uh, bad user experience, but it works. Even if it is something simple, you are always managed to to release something. It's like if you have three weeks to do something, probably you're going to end up doing the last three days. 
<laughs> so by knowing that you need to that you need to release always something two weeks, you kind of manage the time. You say, okay, I have these three priorities. For sure, I can only make one. And just medically right. Forget about the rest. And when it comes to user research then and actually taking this out to people and showing them and trying to get that feedback so you can identify what's coming next, do you find that the locals are very kind of open and willing to give that feedback or are they kind of trying to save your feelings like the cliche that we get over here, which would be like, yeah, if you ask someone if they like it, they're just going to say yes. I mean, is that the same with Chinese interviewees or are they very forthright? No, as, as I said, the mindset here, it's amazing. They are eager to try new things. If you say, okay, I'm working this project because I want to do this, it's okay, give it to me. And and they will be pretty, pretty straightforward, like, okay, they use, okay, this looks like shit. But you know what? I like it. I can use it. <laughs> try, try, try next time to remove these things, or I will, I would like to have this, or I don't feel good. But they are always eager, eager to see what's coming, and they are very friendly to foreigners. So if you go out, what I like to do is just go like to coffee shops, see people that is like kind of doing something but not too busy and ask them to try it. And they are like, yeah, sure. And and pretty straightforward, relaxed, like, yeah, this looks like shit. But it's okay. <laughs> so it's nice. It's nice. It's, I, I think it will be hard to find that in, in overseas. Yeah, I was going to say, if you went to some of the people I've worked with in my career and told them that what they were working on looked like shit, they'd probably either punch you or quit their job. So yeah, it's uh, it's good to know that you can get that kind of honest feedback and use that. And I guess, like you say, if you're iterating that quickly, it feels that you need that kind of feedback because yeah, yeah. otherwise you're not going to get anything out of those two-week sprints or two-week releases. So you kind of touched on it yourself around the kind of two- to four-week thing and maybe trying to push the envelope a little bit with regards to timing but are you in any way having any effect then on in some ways advocating some of the more traditional silicon valley style book style learnings over to the chinese product management arena or have you basically become a convert and you're completely all in for this new approach i mean you seem pretty keen on it from what we've said so far so is this the future and you'd rather bring that back to america as as an approach or do you think some kind of hybrid approach would be the best way forward yeah i would say it's always good to combine both sides the best of each other when i get hired by western companies i always come up with like something in between and i explain why and i tell them okay just just look at this example if we run it this way but definitely we cannot follow the book otherwise takes months and then you try and it's not going to work so I like I like to see when when I explain these type of things to the stakeholders and they are like okay actually makes sense let's do it that way it feels good so I'll say yeah we we should move forward like hey how can we all understand and work together get something in between maybe not so harsh and and not so not so too weak because some things just just require time. I mean, you cannot deliver a baby in one month. You still need nine months, <laughs> right? So there's just just things. I mean, there are things that just it's gonna take some time. But definitely, you you want the baby in nine months, not more. So <laughs> I I think uh, we'll try and stretch that analogy out a little bit if we can. <laughs> but you've described yourself as passionate about public speaking, and I know you've given at least one TEDx talk. So I guess. I'm going to break all the rules of interviewing and ask more than one question at once. So how did you get into TEDx? What was the topic and how did it go? Yeah, I, I love to speak in public because I, 
first, I, I think I'm like too passionate about design and then people can see that I get excited and, and I try to, to inspire people. So I start doing design thinking uh, workshops here in, in China. I did one for a hospital, then for WeWork, I did two, and then for a university. And people start to love it, and they feel my good energy. We we play games to re- to solve some problems, or they call me with a specific needs, and I came I came up with a special type of game. So they were like, "Okay, this is a different approach." He's he's not telling us what to do. He's letting us know and find out what is our problem. And by ourselves, we can find a better solution with his guidance. Then um, one of the principals was in one of the workshops and he told me, I want you to go and speak in the university. We have the TEDx program. We are certified and I would like to have you there. He told me the topic is about change and it's about, okay, we move from a university to the real life. What we like to talk about. So my topic is don't follow your dreams. And then every time I said it, I was like, what are you talking about? Everybody tells you that you should follow your dreams. So the idea behind is that dreams are, or dreams and passion and this type of thing that always people tell you, it's, it's just bullshit. Because before I was passionate about burgers and I love burgers and I wanted to eat burgers every day, but <laughs> no, no, seriously, I, I love burgers. They, they make it very nice here. but. Someday I'm just like, man, I cannot eat another burger. I need a break. So what I was trying to explain is to, to these to these students that they were about to graduate is just don't don't get focused too much on okay, what is my passion? What should I do? I want to love my work and so on. More like, okay, life is a process. Passion is a feeling, a feeling change. What you like today, maybe you don't like it tomorrow. And and I told them about my journey in design and why I love design is because I'm good at it. That that doesn't mean design was my passion. That doesn't mean I love design all my life. But because I'm good at it and I keep doing it, I get good feedback. It makes me fulfilled that I can fill up projects. And then that's how I become a better professional, by making myself useful for the people in something I'm good. It is my passion. Well, yeah, I love it, but that doesn't mean every day is my passion. But I get fulfillment and then have a good life is about feeling fulfillment. I, I cannot feel happy 100% of the day. And I get stressed with design sometimes and then people want this and I don't want that. But at the end of the day, I feel fulfilled. And, and that was the TED Talk. was about, okay, life is about feeling fulfilled, how design helped me in that. And don't concentrate too much in, the, in your passion dreams. More, okay, what are you good at? Yeah, I guess it's easier to be passionate about things that you enjoy because you are good at them, right? Like if everything's a struggle, it's quite hard to be passionate about it. Yeah. I mean, that's not always true because sometimes the struggle is in some ways like, you know, the journey can be the the reward on its own. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's obviously much much more fulfilling to be good at something. But I guess as long as you've worked hard to get there, then that probably holds true. And you said before this call, you want to inspire people to try new things. So what's one new thing you've tried recently and how was it? Yeah, so let's get back to light therapy because it's easy to use as an example. As I said, <laughs> what, what was the last time you saw a sunrise? Then I ask you, Jason, what was the last time you saw a sunrise? Well, what, the actual act of the sun coming over the horizon? Yeah. I can't actually think of any time that I've seen a sunrise. I've definitely seen the sun set. 
Yeah, no, that, that's the thing. So, so simple. I'm like, okay, why you don't wake up one day and see the sunrise? And then, okay, do it. And then just do it barefoot. What was the last time you went outside barefoot, for example? Uh, yesterday. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good there. And then when, when it comes with design, same thing. Usually when we get a problem, we got into it, we jump, start making shapes, colors, and so on. I would say try something different. When you have a, de- a new design challenge, take a break. Go away. Let your mind be clear. Put some white on your mind and let some space that things to come up. I found out that the, the best designers are the ones who take some time to let the mind process the problem. It's the same. You feel bad. Don't think about the medicine. Think about, okay, am I in a good position? Am I sleeping well? Am I eating enough? Right? When you get a headache, it's like, okay, I got to go and get medicines from the pharmacy. I got to get a painkiller or so on. Instead of saying, okay, am I drinking enough water? Maybe I drink too much yesterday. I should drink less. <laughs> yeah, that happens. Uh, or maybe I, I should eat better. So... It's just about seeing the world in, in another way. That's why I like always people to say, just go and see the sunrise. I mean, it's something that, that we have every day. Just give it for granted. And it feels so nice. You get red light, you get infrared light, makes you and a lot of blue light makes you feel awake, makes you feel good, you feel warm. And that gives you a boost that nothing can give you, not even coffee, a Red Bull or whatever. It's just natural boost. And, and, and it works pretty, pretty fine. So as I said, okay, designers, developers, when you get the biggest challenge, just take a break. And then general people try to find what are you doing wrong. That's that's why you get sick. And, and just go outside more. Well, going outside more is obviously something we should all encourage, especially as we come out of the current situation yeah. in all the cities around the world. So fingers crossed for them, people. And where can people find you if they want to chat more after this about design or light therapy or taking a break? Sure. So, yeah, I, lo- I love taking a break with coffee. So always welcome to share a coffee with me. They can find me in my website, lastrescarlos.com. Also, you can find me by thewizardcarlos.com. And then to know more about light therapy, kayanmedical.com. I'm always writing new articles about it. You guys know, okay, I'm a software engineer, design and master degree, nothing to do with light therapy. And I believe in it because it works and it's nice. So I will be there always, always inspiring and encourage people to try it. Fair enough. I'll uh, make sure that's linked into the show notes and hopefully you'll get a few orders. Excellent. Excellent. Through the post or however you take them. Well, that's been a fantastic chat. So obviously really appreciate you taking the time and that's really late there as well. So I'm hoping you get to uh, put your head down now and take a rest yourself. <laughs> Uh, hopefully we can stay in touch but yeah as for now thanks for taking the time oh thanks to you jason it's my pleasure and i hope everybody enjoy it thanks for listening i hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful if you did there's plenty more where that came from so again head over to the website onenightinproduct.com where you can hear episodes from thought leaders and practitioners make sure to sign up and share with your friends so you and they can never miss another episode again i'll be back soon but as for now Thanks and good night.